so I hope you can hear me. Um, all right. So I was just thinking as I was standing there, a lot of people have said, oh, I've been praying for you uh, before I went up. So I think well, it's probably a good thing to have people praying for me before I preach rather than coming up to me after and saying, oh, I'll be praying for your preaching. <laughs> um, but we'll be turning to John uh, 1, 1, which is um, among my favorite verses, obviously a very famous one. And um, what I want to be talking about tonight is uh, the Trinity, and specifically just one trait from each of the bodies of the Trinity that I really want to highlight as being unique to those bodies. And um, so we'll just read John 1 to uh, verse 1 to 5, which reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything that made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And I just want to like, uh, just highlight there, before we go any further in, in verse 1, uh, word is capitalised, um, and I think we all know that that's, that's Jesus Christ as you read further down, and we'll, we'll get to that later, but I just want to particularly... Uh, Keep that in your minds now because we'll be coming back to it. It's very pertinent. But um, when we think of the Trinity, it's sort of a complicated being because it's three in one and three individual beings, and it's a bit strange for us to think about that. But in a way, we're also three in one beings ourselves because we have mind, uh, the mind, spirit, and body, or soul, spirit, and body, whichever one you'd like to say. And you know, if you die and you go to heaven. You can think of your soul is in heaven and, and everyone in heaven would say, oh, that there you are, right? That's you. But equally, the people here on earth, if they see your body and they're burying you, they say, well, that's you right there. And so both are you, but they are not each other, just like the Father is not the Son, but they are both God. So you can sort of think about it that way. Uh, that's the way I think about it anyway. But um, in, in just saying that, you know, it is, it is important that we consider that all of them put together is, is the God that we worship. And um, so just with those three, the Father, um, I just want to point out one, one um, key point of each of them, which is uh, the power of the Father, the truth of the Holy Spirit, and the Logos of Jesus Christ. So to start with God, the Father is a source of all power. If you think about governments and uh, businesses and departments, they all delegate power down, right? So if you consider Department of Transport, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they actually don't have much power on their own right. They're just uh, bureaucrats. But Parliament has dictated that they have certain powers on Parliament's behalf to act on Parliament's behalf and therefore the Crown's behalf if you take it all the way back. So P Department of Transport has powers, but it's not their own power. They're not the source of their own power. That power is traced back to the crown in the end. And the same goes with you know, any kind of department or if you work for business, you've got a department that works on uh, finances, right? They're, they're allowed to hand out money to pay wages, but it's not their money and they don't have that authority of themselves. They're granted it from the CEO. Um, you can also think in uh, military terms, you've got the rank of uh, lieutenant or lieutenant if you're American. And um, this is a very key word because it's actually all of this in one word because lieu is what we use all the time in lieu of something, right? If you ever have 
uh, time off in lieu, and uh, tenant, which is just to the holder of something. You have a tenancy. You, you are uh, the tenant of that. So a lieutenant is actually holding command in the place of someone else. So he's not actually in charge. He doesn't have any power of himself. He's been delegated power from someone else. Um, so right there in one word, you've got the very concept of, where, of, of power in the world, which is that all power comes from a source above. Um, and so you know, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're going, everywhere we see power comes from above um, in, all assets, in, in all facets of our life, whether it be business or government or really anything. Um, and we know that all, in the end, all authority originates with God. And if we read in, and I won't, I'll, I'll be all over the place, so I don't expect you to turn everywhere, but in Daniel chapter 2, 20 to 22, it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the time and the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So you see all kingdoms, nations, they only exist because God allows them to exert power and authority. And that power and authority fundamentally comes back to him. And so they are going to have to answer also for how they use that power and authority. Um, when we uh, talk about God the Father in the Bible, a lot of the times when we see his, um, his character is in the um, sort of second, second hand. And we really get a lot more from Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between us and God the Father, which we can read in, in 1 Timothy 2.5, which says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Therefore, you know, just thinking about that, we can take Jesus' word on God the Father. I think that's, that's fair enough. And so when we're reading in, in, in John uh, chapter 5, it really emphasises the delegation of power from the Father through to Jesus Christ. And in this context of uh, John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus is being persecuted by the Jews who brought charges against him for healing on the Sabbath. And in verse 19 it reads, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of my Father which hath sent me. So you can see Jesus is acting on the Father's behalf. He's been sent by the Father. He says right there, he can do nothing of his own self. He's... Um, judging on behalf of the Father. So everything that he's doing here is on behalf of and delegated to him by the Father. And you can see another demonstration in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 17, and it says, um, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So he's been given power by God the Father, who is the source of all power. And so being um, in subject to authority and, and accepting that position in your life and fulfilling your delegated role um, within uh, your authority and respecting that, uh, that order is a sign of humility and a, and a serving spirit, that usurping authority and rejecting your place in that uh, order is a sign of pride and, and re rebelliousness. 
And pride is an affront to God because if you think about it, pride is really saying that you are the source of your own power. Your power, your abilities, your skills, your um, gifts are not from God. You're saying that it's yourself, you are the source of your own power. And so when you take pride, you know, over-the-top pride in um, a particular skill that you might be good at, what you're, what you're really saying is that you are the reason you are good at this. This isn't because of God. This isn't because of the people that have helped you get there. It's just because of you. And that, that's pride. And so it's really an affront to, in particular, God the Father in that vein because you're um, rejecting him as the source of the power. And um, we can see that pride was the, the sin of the devil as we read in Isaiah 14, 12, and it says in verse 12, "'How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north.'" So you can see Lucifer's great sin is that he decides in his heart that he's going to be like God. He's going to be the source of power. And, um, and for that, he's cut down to the ground, as, as the Bible says. And really, you have to be careful that you're not replacing God the Father in his rightful place with yourself when you get um, perhaps a little carried away with your own particular uh, gifts and um, your own hubris. Um, Moving on to the Holy Spirit, it's, I think it's often an overlooked aspect of the Trinity in, in many cases, but it's, it's very important because in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit is often called the Spirit of God. And in the New Testament, John writes, and he often calls it the Spirit of Truth. And that's the name I want to focus on here is the, the, the truth in the Holy Spirit. And uh, while the Father might be the source of all authority and power, the Holy Spirit is, can be called the source of all truth. And you, I might even go so far as to say that the fact that something can be true in this world that we live in is only because it's in God's character that truth exists. And so if you go to uh, John 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, it really uh, speaks about the Holy Spirit and the nature of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 16, it says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So you can see that it's the Spirit of truth, and Jesus calls it the Spirit of truth. So the very concept of truth is godly. It's a godly attribute. And... We as humans, I think, think we can know the truth in many cases, but I'd actually argue um, truth is a bit beyond us because our memory is uh, not as good as we'd like to believe and our history books are typically riddled with errors and all our perception of the world is actually quite mistaken. If you consider, if you remember what colour car you parked next to this evening, you've probably got no idea. But, you, you know, you, that's a very simple fact. It was only a little while ago, but you just had no idea what it was. And so our perception of the truth, true reality around us is, is actually a very, very limited field, whereas God knows the truth about every single, everything in the world, in the, in the entire universe, down to subatomic levels and beyond. 
And, you know, just to, just to nail this home, right, if you see uh, in the United States there was an investigation into 358 cases of people who had been convicted and sentenced to death uh, in, since 1989. And those 358 people who had been sentenced to death was exonerated through DNA evidence, which was brought up later. So of those 358, 71% were convicted through eyewitness accounts. So we can't even necessarily trust our own eyes and our own memories to tell us the blindingly obvious right in front of us. We like to think we know the truth. And you can see that you know, just above um, what we read before, the world cannot receive him, that is the, the spirit of truth, it's because it seeth him not, and neither it knoweth him. We, especially in our unsaved nature, have just really no idea what truth actually is and the meaning behind it. Because you know, when you're unsaved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the spirit of truth in you. When you are saved, you sort of really begin to understand that this is the only truth that we actually have. This is the only thing that is actually errorless. No matter what you read in history books or, or no matter what best account or first-hand accounts that you have, they are always incorrect in some way. And there is actually no single article that's written by man that is, that is completely true. Um, but uh, in Deuteronomy uh, 32, 3, verses 4, um, it reads, Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe you greatness unto our God. He is, our, he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. So you can see you know, the Bible is very clear that truth is a godly attribute. Truth comes from God. He is the God of truth. And um, furthermore, in, uh, in 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse, uh, yeah, sorry, First John chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Because now the Bible's very clear, the Spirit is truth. Tr truth is the Holy Spirit. It's right there. Um, so we can trust God to tell the truth because God invented the very concept of truth. And nothing can ever be as true as God, no matter how hard we try. And um, really, God wrote the Bible using people that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, so this is truth. And, and that's really an end of it, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, before I uh, introduce the... Uh, third part of the Trinity, uh, Jesus Christ, or as John calls him, the Word. And as I said, uh, Logos earlier, and this is really wanna, what I want to get to, is I want to talk about Isaac Newton because he was a man who studied the natural universe and the laws and codified many of the laws that we use today in thermodynamics and gravity and in physics and so on. And this is a man who really looked for order and rules in the universe. And I can quote him here, and he says, I have a fundamental belief in the Bible as the word of God written by those who were inspired. I study the Bible daily. And this is the man who spent and dedicated his whole life to studying the, the order in the universe. He also says, all variety of created objects which represent order and life in the universe could happen only by the willful reasoning of its original creator, whom I call the Lord God. So we, modern, modern science will like to tell you that there is no God, 
but modern science is built on the works of the man who was convinced through his own personal studies in the universe that there must be a God because of the order that he found in it. But we don't really need Isaac Newton to tell us that. We can, of course, go to the Bible and in our source text in John 1, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the same, uh, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And further down in verse 14, it reads, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we, all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, just on that last verse, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace is um, really talking about the forgiveness of sins, that mercy that God shows us. And truth being the spirit of truth that came after Jesus Christ, the, the Holy Spirit. Um, but the, in the original uh, Greek, and you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't too often pull from the original Greek, um, but the, the word used to write the word, word, capitalized, is logos in Greek. And it's, and it's a fairly important word because you use it all the time, or it's a derivatives, in the form of the word logic. And so logos is actually a, um, it's a very important philosophical term in the Greek school of philosophy that had been going on for some while before. And so what John is really writing to and trying to grasp at is, is the pursuit of understanding the universe that these, the Greeks were sort of doing in a, in a muddled, confused way. And he was saying, look, you're, trying, you're pursuing this logos, you're all arguing uh, for logos, you're all trying to understand what this is, and I'm telling you, it's Jesus Christ in the flesh right here. He is the logos. He is what you're after. And the logos is, is a very important thing because it's, it's the basis of a lot of um, modern Western culture. And it was a, coin, a, a term coined by um, ancient Greek philosophers which was used to sort of describe the, the principle of cosmic reason which is a bit of a, a, a nothing statement, really. But it's sort of to say that Logos is the underlying structure which lets things have meaning or lets things have causality. So if you are talking about Logos and logic and, and ancient Greeks, you'll inevitably come to the statement which is, um, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. And that makes sense, that follows, right? And the reason why it follows is because there's Logos in the universe is because things can mean things. That's really what Logos is, that there is a rule, there is a, there is a natural order to the universe where we can say, oh, well, you know, all men are mortal, right? I've got, that, I've got that fact over here, and I've got Socrates as a man over here, so I can put these together in my head. But the reason why you can put them together in your head is because there is an underlying Logos that really lets this all flow and, and connect and add together. And so when you think about Jesus Christ is the Word and Jesus Christ is Logos, uh, what we're really sort of saying is that in another way, Christ is order and structure and the rules of the, the universe around you from the very smallest to the, to the most massive galaxies. Everything that makes sense is 
there because Jesus Christ made things. If you, if you recall, um, uh, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So he, Jesus Christ made the universe and he's order and he's logos and things follow an order and a logos in the universe. And that, stand, that, that adds up. And so really, if you, if you want to understand uh, Jesus perhaps a little bit more, is that he is order and logos in the flesh. And I don't know. I think that's quite powerful, personally. But the, um, you know, this, this description of God I've given you of, of, of power and truth and of, and of logos, or order if you'd prefer, it's incomplete, certainly. There, there are many other attributes that you can give to God of, of mercy and, and love and, and, and so on. And even wrath, you know, in, if you've ever read Revelations. Uh, but I think, it's, I think it's useful because they're, they're attributes of God that I don't really hear very often, that God is power, God is truth, and God is order. And these are transcendent truths in the universe that you can observe no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing. They are just fundamental to the underlying fabric of this, of this world we experience. And they're really what makes... God great in this way that it's not, you know, a lot of, a lot of ancient religions, pagan religions will, will talk about, oh, that's the God of the trees and that's the God of the wind and we know he's the God of the wind because well, there's the wind. But, um, you know, the God of power is, uh, is, is uh, power is sort of untangible but everyone knows it's there. Everyone knows that you follow the guy who's in charge and, and you tell the guy underneath you what to do. And everyone knows what truth is and then people argue endlessly about what is and is not true. And people know what orderliness is, and people know if you're making an, an argument that isn't true, that isn't sound, people will call you out for a logical fallacy. And, of course, a logic is logos, uh, you know, underlying it. And as a Christian, you know, you, you should want to and desire to be under God's authority, in God's truth, and following God's orders and commandments and instructions. That's really all I've got for you on that. So thank you very much. Um, I, I think it's Jabez now. <laughs>